Hey, hey, kids, we're a couple of annoyed drunk boys, and this is the 138th Simpsons Podcast. That's right, we're the podcast that explores the American animated sitcom The Simpsons from seasons 11 and beyond, and the newest ones when they're available. Why do we do it like that? Well, an entity known as the Will of Random has trapped us and forced us to do so in such a manner. I say we because I'm an annoyed grunt boy named Steve, and with me, as always, is... Craig. Hey, Craig. How's it going this week? I'm uh, just relieved, you know, we're out of the spooky season, but we gotta get right back into it. I know. Did you have so many haunts on your Halloween, the ghouls and goblins coming to your house? Oh, yeah, it was... And I'm not talking the uh, transients, I'm talking about the ghouls. Oh. <laughs> You've been to Portland. Um, yeah, we we uh, did our yearly tradition of buying a very large bag of candy in hopes <laughs> that we get some trick-or-treaters knowing full well that we never will. And uh, yeah, it was uh, great because I ate a lot of candy. And though candy isn't as good as it used to be, still candy. Yeah, I'm kind of pissed off. We got like a couple, like four bags of candy and thinking like, oh, because usually like a lot of times we're either home or or not home during Halloween. And this was one of those years where we were home. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was expecting like a lot more kids. But I think the fuckers just like grabbed like handfuls of our candy. Cause like we walked away with like maybe a Reese's peanut butter cup a piece. Huh. Like that's not cool. No. It's like these kids grabbed more candy than I was, exp- you know, I, I go out there and like, there you go. I don't say like, I don't have rules. I'm like take one or take two. I was like, yeah, here's bull. Here bull. Have candy. Bull. Yeah. Here's the bull that I put under the sink when things are dripping down there's a clog it's here's the bowl that i vomited in here's the bowl that every time i make popcorn i eat popcorn out of here's this bowl of candy kids <laughs> they left more of the nerds heather wanted some nerds so we, we were left with more of the nerds than like my peanut butter cups or uh kit kats those are those the good kind yeah yeah i need you i just need to get like <laughs> the best thing to do is probably to go like afterwards like go on November first mm-hmm. to the store to buy all the candy and save it for a year, but I guess candy expires, so you probably shouldn't be giving out. Uh, probably not giving out year old candy to, like you know when like you open an old Reese's and it looks like a dog turd from the eighties <laughs> and it's all gray. Yeah, you're like, eh, I probably shouldn't uh, <laughs> eat this. But I'm glad. How many kids you get? Like two? Yeah, like literally probably two. Oh no, I didn't. We didn't. Uh, I think we got one. <laughs> yeah, we had like five groups, but. They were all just, they took all of our candy, Steve. Ah, what, bummer. What a bunch of jerks. Yeah. But we're out of the, the, out of the Halloween season now, Steve, so thank God. Yeah, we're out of the holidays, but it's uh, one treat that I always enjoy is a beer. Mm, me too. Which brings us to our favorite segment, The Simpsons Beer Corner. Now a little beer music to get in the mood. Uh, what have you got for us this week, Craig? Well, Steve, with Halloween behind us, but we're a little closer to uh, November 1st, which is celebrated by the people of Mexico, Dia de Muerteos, the Day of the Dead, I went with a Mexican lager. It's Catina Especial. It's from Grains of Wrath, which I feel like we've reviewed a lot of Grains of Wrath. Mm-hmm. And it's got the skull, kind of like, yeah, the Dia de Muertos skull. Um, so it's a Mexican lager. And I do love a cerveza, Steve. Cerveza is good. And I do enjoy a Mexican lager. It's really great style, really crisp, really refreshing. And Grains of Wrath, they've really kind of surprised me lately with the, how good their beers are. 
Um, and they're just out of Vancouver, Washington. So in your neck of the woods. Yeah, the can is not kid friendly. Like I said, it's got a skull, although it's pretty badass looking, I gotta say. Uh, so pours like a light amber, like you would expect a uh, you know lager to pour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't have a lime as a customer. You'd always put a lime. In. I don't think you have to. I think it's a dealer's choice. And I'll say that does not need a lime. Nice. That is wow. Like when you see those stupid Corona commercials, like that's what you want it to taste. Oh like. yeah. I mean, this creates a rep. This you know when I see Andy Samberg with Snoop Dogg drinking the Corona, <laughs> this is what I imagine it tastes like. Yeah. Instead. What they're tasting is Corona and weed. <laughs> yeah, this is what like a Corona should taste like. That's that's why I'm comparing it to like the crisp and cleanness of their Mexican style lager. And I've had a lot of microbrews Mexican style lager mm-hmm. before, but I think Grains of Wrath here might be my favorite. Nice. This that's that's solid. That's really good. Like, and I know it's in the middle of uh, fall, close to winter. That's the nice thing I think about. Uh, like a Mexican lager, as I could drink those year round. Yeah, they're really good anytime because it gives you that sense of like summer and like the heat and and the refreshness that the cerveza gives you. Yeah. So yeah, hats off to this one. Uh, if you guys can find the grains of wrath, Cantina Especial, so good. How about you, Steve? What do you got? Oh uh, well, Craig, it is uh, you know past the uh, holiday season of uh, Halloween, but I figured that since we're hanging out with uh, the Treehouse Four, there's no reason not to be. Festive. So I have from Shipyard Brewing Company a smashed pumpkin. Um, also, smashing pumpkins were on the Homer Palooza episode of The Simpsons, so it, it, it works. And you're also smiling politely right now. That's right. Um, speaking of smiling politely, the can is not very kid friendly, though it does have a picture of a jack o' lantern's face with a polite smile. Uh, the text reads Smash pumpkin begins with Shipyard Smash pumpkin. The big bodied beer pours a light copper orange, which it does, with a pleasing aromas of pumpkin cinnamon, and burnt sugar, balanced with a mild lingering sweetness and a slightly warm bitter finish. It's a perfect beer for when the temperature starts to drop. Uh, It's best drunk at 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, It has uh, 20% IBUs, or 20 IBUs, so pretty low on there. Uh, Whole wheat uh, and some Willamette's hops comes in at 9%. It is very orange in color, but uh, it smells very kind of pumpkin spicy. That's a good smell to have, Steve, during this time of the year. Indeed. And Steve goes for the sip, and he's sipping, and he's sipping, and he's Ooh. done sipping. Ah, that's good. That's real good. I've had a number of uh, pumpkin beers in my day. All right, number of them. Uh, one, two, okay. two. All right. Three. Three. Oh, yeah, hold on a second. I, I'm writing this down. Four, five. Okay. Six. No, no, I said... Uh, K, like what? Spanish. Oh. And here with the last one. Oh, sorry. Four. Uh, five. Okay, five. Okay. Uh, Cies, which is Spanish for six. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, seven. Lucky number? Yeah, lucky number seven. Okay. Uh, eight. K. Uh, eight. Wait, is that, that's the affinity symbol, but like vertical, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a sideways. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know my symbols are for affinity, but not, not my digits. Makes sense. They're all the numbers. Uh, nine. What? Why did you say no in German to me? Sorry. Okay, Steve, I don't care. Give me nine, but uh, let's end this conversation by, uh, what's your favorite Bo Derek movie? Oh, it's got to be ten. No, it's not. It's Tommy Boy. Come on. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, this beer is very nice. A lot of the pumpkin beers that I've had in the past, one through ten, uh, they can all be uh, sometimes a little sweet, sometimes a little artificial tasting. Uh, this one is nice. It's got a good spice to it. 
for being 9%, you know, it drinks really smoothly. You know what else has a good spice to it? What's that? Scary, sporty, ginger, of course, mm-hmm. baby, and a little bit of pot. Yeah, that's some uh, good spice, uh, girls. And don't forget the planet Arrakis. <laughs> of course, Dune. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> Shipyard Brewing, um, they, you make a good pumpkin ale, and uh, I think that it, it sated my need for pumpkin for the year, so uh, yeah. That'll do it for that, uh, but let's go back in time, all the way back to November 5th, 2023. Craig, what was the number one movie in the box office? Well, we're still riding high with those nights at Freddy's. How many nights? Just five. Okay. And uh, still haven't seen it, even though, you know, Peacock is right there. Mm-hmm. I'll eventually watch it, uh, but uh, that's a review of it. That sounds about right. Uh, I agree. I have not seen it. I probably will, maybe. I don't know. It's so hard to watch, like, horror movies, scary movies, for me personally. Like, after Halloween, like, every year I try to do, like, a marathon of, like, the old, like, to me, the old vintage, I think vintage, I guess, like, the 80s slashers, like, I'll do, like, okay, this year is going to be, like, Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. next year is going to be the Elm Streets, then Halloween's, and I was doing, oh, I'll, I was doing uh, the Freddy movies, and I got to every single one except for, uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. Mm-hmm. And I was going to watch it like November 1st and it was on HBO max, but all of a sudden it's not on HBO max Ugh. before. So I'm like, do they get rid of it? Like, is it on different streaming services? I looked at the other ones that I had and I didn't see it. So they still have all the other Elm street movies. It's so dumb, but I got to see Wes Craven's new nightmare. I don't know what happens to Fred. Yeah. I, I want to, how many people equals bitch. Probably several. Yeah. And when is he going to get fingered? Was Freddy a finger the the prequel to Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, that's why he was a that's why he was the way he was because he got fingered by uh, Tom Green. Oh, I thought Tom Green was Freddy. That's the twist. Remember when he was all like, "Daddy, would you like some sausage?" <laughs> Who was his daddy? Was it Rip Torn? I think it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a miserable piece of shit that guy was, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, Steve, we weren't being frightful at those nights at Freddy's five times. Mm-hmm. I can only ever do one time. One time. Uh, Steve, what were we bopping to? Uh, well, Craig, for uh, the second week in a row, it may be a cool autumn, but it, for me, it's a cruel summer by Taylor Swift. That's what we call in the business the bridge. Oh, yeah, because it gets you across water of music. <laughs> That's a good song. Um, I am not like the Swifty that you are, but I've been really enjoying exploring her work as she re-releases it, and uh, it's a good song. There should be a podcast about two middle-aged white men talking <laughs> Taylor Swift. That probably would be a really good, successful podcast. Oh yeah. Um, let's see here. We'll come up with a fun title here. Very clever. Uh, the annoyed <laughs> Swifties boys. Are you tailoring my Swift <laughs> on the grift now? The the hundred thirty eighth Taylor Swift podcast by a couple of middle aged white. Yeah, there you go. That's that's perfect. Look, I'm just assuming that we're all living in Taylor Swift's like AI, like her um 
Matrix. Yeah, like she's like the Neo. Mm-hmm. Like we're just uh, we're NPCs of her universe. Yes. So I feel like if we just stay positive on her side, we'll be fine in whatever life is beyond what we're living. That's all I'm saying. That makes sense. Yeah, we just have to keep her happy. <laughs> yes. Much like uh, Bart in that parody of uh, Twilight Zone, where he uh, has the powers and everyone has to keep that boy happy. Hey, that was an episode of Treehouse of Horrors. Ah, speaking of Treehouse of Horrors, this week's episode is Treehouse of Horrors 34, in which Bart is turned to an NFT, Lisa tracks down a murderer from her past, and an outbreak turns Springfielders into a plague of lazy, beer-loving oafs. Ooh, sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. Let's say we watch that episode and uh, take a break, and we'll be right back. And I don't And we're back. Today we're talking about Treehouse of Horror 34, the fifth episode of the 35th season. It originally aired on November 5th, 2023. It is episode 735 in the show's run. Your nerd code is OABF17. It was written by Jeff Westbrook. A guest of The Overlook. Jessica Conrad. Jessica Covenrad. Dan Weber. Dan Weber in a sheet with eye holes. Directed by Rob Oliver. Rob Oliver. And your showrunners are Al Jean. A.I. Jean. Brian Kelly. The man with two Brians. And Matt Selman. Stay puffed, Matt Selman, man. <laughs> Great. Those are a lot of fun. Yeah, and I was also noticing in the fun credits, there was plenty more producers out there, but we're not going to list them all. You could do the work yourself, guys. But I noticed that Matt Graining, I always thought it was bat graining, but today it's splat graining. Like, has he changed it up? Every once in a while now, I just assumed. Yeah. Bat greening. I think it's possible that he has mixed it up, but Matt, or bat greening just seems so iconic. Yeah. And of course, Sam Simon has always left as Sam Simon since he's uh, passed. He's already a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's more fun names at the end of the show. So uh, guys, do yourself a favor and just, you guys know what to do. You always watch these Treehouse of Horrors. It's one of the the fun perks you know it's like the mad magazine the fold-in it's one of the perks of uh i don't know do i should explain to the, our 13 year old listeners what a mad magazine is i think you probably have to start with a magazine <laughs> like there was a magazine with uh rt lang because <laughs> we're oh yeah on mad mad tv <laughs> key, key and peel show up for a season <laughs> or did she rather <laughs> uh i never watched mad tv i you know probably caught handfuls of episodes but i wasn't uh engrossed in it yeah, so it was always on, I believe, on Saturday nights at 11, and it was an hour long, so I'd watch the first half of it before switching to Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And it is not great for the most part. Uh, a lot of really broad humor, and a little offensive. No, very offensive. But a lot of good people came out of it, so I guess it it, it served its purpose well. I thought you were going to give us like, examples. Like, you know, a lot of good people came out of it. You know, like, anyways, it was good. <laughs> Key and Peele, Andy Daly. I said Artie Lang. Artie uh, Lang. <laughs> uh, Lewis Griffin. I'm blanking on her name. 
Uh, oh, oh, uh, Alex Borstein. Yeah. So, the, I mean, there are a lot of great people who did come out of Matt TV. And I don't know that it's like anybody's fault. I think it was just trying to be edgy and of its time. Well, that was weird because like in the late 90s, kind of early 2000s, networks were really trying to compete with SNL. You know, there was a time where like Howard Stern had a Saturday night show and all it was was like his E show, but then edited it together. I do remember that. Yeah. So I was, I was remember like when he announced he was going to have like a Saturday show, I was like, oh, cool. He's going to do like one of those old, like he used to have a, the Channel 9 show, which was way back in the 80s and early 90s. It was just a local thing where he did like, it was almost like a cable access type of TV show, even though he was still doing his radio show. And I thought like that Saturday show was going to be like something new. Like he was literally going to go into the studio on a Saturday, but no. Right, right. I was like, wait, I had the E channel. These are always closer <laughs> from the E channel. And then, yeah, of course, Mad TV tried to compete. Yeah. Um, some, a couple other standout cast members throughout the seasons Arden Marin, uh, Andy Daly, as I mentioned, Josh Myers, brother of Seth Myers, uh, oh, Taryn Gillum um, from Saturday wait, Live. Was Seth and his brother, were they both, was he, on, was Seth on SNL at the same time that? His brother was on Matt TV. There is some overlap, yes. Oh, that's funny. Which has got to be awkward during... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, our kids are home. This one's only on Matt TV. This one's at least on SNL. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be awkward. But, hey, uh, Josh Myers was on that 70s show, and, you know, that turned out well for everybody on that show. So um, we also got Ike Barinholtz, Phil Lamar, Bobby Lee, who was very wow. interesting. Nicole Sullivan, Deborah Wilson. So yeah, it, it, it had a good cast. It just, I think that the writing was a little appealing to a different audience, I, I would say. Like a younger, more right. juvenile audience. Yeah, they were trying to get younger crowd to take away from the SNL crowd. Yeah, they had that Fox attitude. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of Fox. Yeah. Hey, we should get back to The Simpsons. I think we were talking about Halloween, but really talking about Mad TV, which I have nothing to talk about with that show. <laughs> it was on. Um, Steve, we got the title gag here is a hand uses like a charcoal crayon to etch the outline of a tombstone, which reveals the skulls and the Simpsons as the skulls with the words Treehouse of War 34. Mm. It's a fun, so, fun, quick, yeah. to the point. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I like that. Uh, Bart's making a face with his skeleton. It would have been kind of nice to have some tombstones in the background for jokes, but I think that think, there's a lot in there. So I think that's over now. They, they don't do that anymore. Yeah. I don't, I haven't seen tombstones in a long time. That's true. They should have tombstone gags and a tombstone. <laughs> They're long dead. You know, you used to talk about tattoos on this podcast. I think those etchings Ooh. and the, those would be pretty cool, badass tattoos, like Bart's skull and all the schools. Actually, that's really good because it is clean and easy, but very uh, noticeable. Yeah. Or like, you know, you know what it is as soon as you see it. So that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, should we get to our uh, first segment? Yes. Story. Okay. Our first frightful fable begins at the Springfield Museum of Art, where Mayor Quimby has some good news for the art lovers of Springfield. And that news is the art museum is closed forever. Uh, the crowd responds with slow claps and confused faces because it seems that the countries of origin want their borrowed pieces. So the entire collection will be digitized and sold to the blockchain for a fortune as non-fungible tokens or NFTs. Whatever the hell those are. Quimby's explaining all this. Bart and Homer are sneaking up into the museum. Well, Homer wants to turn their family's crappy art into computer money. So he's got the iconic sailboat that's behind their couch. Figuring, oh, that's probably a good way to make some uh, money. If that was an NFT, I, again, I don't think NFTs are as 
popular as they were a few years ago, right? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Bart has a better idea. Instead of the sailboat painting, he's going to uh, do what we all want Bart to see. And he's moody. We talked about last week. All we want is Bart mooning people. Mm-hmm. And we got it right here. Yay. He wants to digitize his ass. And Bart, if you went on to uh, Rule 34 on the internet of your day, <laughs> oof, there's a lot of digitized ass of you. <laughs> uh, so as Bart jumps into the uh, Easy Funge art digitizer machine, and he pulls down his uh, shorts, Homer laughs and hits the uh, large red button on the machine, and it begins to digitize Bart. So the machine warns that the art will be destroyed. Bart is then vaporized or beamed up like into tiny pixels, and Homer shouts, Ah, technology. <laughs> Oh, Bart, we, we barely knew ye. You should know to stay away from cylindrical booths around Christmas time. Last time you did that, you turned into a fly. Did you say Christmas time? I did, but I meant Halloween time. Yeah. And it's just because we're recording this so close to Christmas. Exactly. Closer the to real uh, Nightmare Before Christmas situation. There you go. It is weird because you're listening to this on like the 9th of November. Yeah. Nearly a full two weeks, but that's fine. Homer receives an alert from his phone and discovers that the NFT of Bart mooning has been minted. He cries out that he's lost Bart forever, but then cries out, yes, when he sees that the NFT is worth $1.5 million. The NFT is entitled Wild Bart's Can't Be Token, a play on season 10's Wild Bart's Can't Be Broken, which was originally a pun on the 1991 family horse diving movie, Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. I looked up that movie. I've never seen it, but basically it's about a young girl who sees that there's this athlete who is really good at horse diving, and she wants in on the action, but she gets injured. And it's a Disney movie, rated G. Is it on Disney Plus right now? Can I stream it? I'm pretty sure you can, yes. Nice. We need more horse diving movies, you know? Yeah, that's what I've been saying. Like, <laughs> forget all your marbles and your right. Mission Impossibles. Where are horses falling from large distances? And let's not use CGI. Let's use the real deal, okay? Yeah, come on. Practical effects, baby. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if they could shoot all the horses on the hit Showtime show Lucky, or was it HBO? <laughs> I think it was HBO, but... Yeah, if Dustin Hoffman could just, like, shoot horses at random, then we could film some horses diving off some diving boards. That's right. Also, points for calling out luck 10 years after the fact. <laughs> I'm going to just print shirts with Dustin Hoffman's face on it and says, a horse killer. <laughs> be like, I didn't do anything with killing the horses. I was just on the show. Yeah. I'm no Alec Baldwin. Oh. I'm sorry. To be fair, you never killed a horse. That's true. Just a person. Anywho, Homer breaks the news to Marge, and they get some advice from an unusual trio. Honey, remember how we're always saying we wish Bart was less fungible? Did something happen to Bart? Only the parts you can hug. The rest is alive right here on my phone. My baby is an app! Uh, no, apps actually do stuff. He's an NFT. But look how much he's worth! <gasps> for Bart. Imagine what we get for Lisa. He is the first NFT of an actual person. I don't care. We've got to find a way to get him back. To do that, you yourself must enter the blockchain. Who are you? We are the enlightened intellects who safeguard the cryptoverse. Kylie Jenner, Rob Gronkowski, and Jimmy Fallon. I thought you were just celebrity shills. Ugh, we would never promote a technology if we didn't understand the distributed ledger underpinning it. <laughs> I can't stop laughing, buddy. Shut up. You ruined Cowbell. 
Wow, look at all those celebrities, Steve. Who, who's who? Well, we got uh, on the left. We got Gronkowski, played by somebody. Okay, just because it's just some goofy noises. We have Kylie Jenner playing herself. You know Kylie Jenner from Being Famous. I mean, sure, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah, was she in the Pepsi commercial? The one giving a Pepsi to the cop. Yeah, yeah, making everything so. better. Yeah, yeah. She's part of the uh, Kardashian clans, right? Right. And then we have Matthew Friend, uh, who's kind of become a guest feature on the show, playing alcoholic, fun, not funny person, uh, Jimmy Fallon. I recently saw an interview he did with uh, somebody from the new Sofia Coppola movie. And man, he looks not great. Who, Matthew Friend? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, no. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, uh, puffy is the word that I would use. Right. Struggling to stay awake also. And of course, Homer mentioned ruining cowbell which is a reference to the 2000s SNL sketch, uh, More Cowbell, featuring Christopher Walken as music producer Bruce Dickinson looking for that dynamite sound from Blue Oyster Cult. If you recall this past summer, I went to a Blue Oyster Cult uh, concert. That's right. When they did Don't Fear the Reaper, there was zero cowbell. <sighs> Disappointing. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Jimmy Fallon, uh, during the strike when the, the Strike Force 5, all those like late-night guys... Do that podcast together, like the five episodes. Mm-hmm. I listened to it, and it's really funny. You could tell who is the funniest and the smartest in the room listening to those guys. I can imagine. Like the, I got. I got to go with like Seth Meyers, probably the wittiest, like the quick with the puns, mm-hmm. um, which makes me like Seth Meyers a lot. I mean, I've always liked Seth Meyers, but yeah, yeah. Jimmy Kimmel is very much the annoying, funny kid. Sure, which you know. Regardless of what you think about him, that's what he's always been. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Colbert, high IQ, I think. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. Uh, very witty, very intelligent. John Oliver, same. Um, <laughs> like, Four. Just, you could tell he's also very, he's kind of, it seemed like he's very uncomfortable with those other guys. Like, he <laughs> didn't really want to be there, but also, like, is very funny. And then you had Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> and that's all I'll say. That sounds about right. Yeah. Seth Myers and Stephen Colbert and Oliver Kimmel can all mm-hmm. have like a great conversation together. Yeah, and it would provide different insights because, like, obviously Oliver being British and kind of over on like prestige cable land on Max as one thing, and then you have Seth Myers who has SNL experience and is a great political mind with his like tight writing. His segments always end up on the news as like lambasting the politics of the day. Stephen Colbert, you know, classic improv trainer, consummate performer, wonderful gentleman. And then you have Jimmy Kimmel, you know, life on stage, you know, the everyman with a brain and a heart and always good. And then, yeah, you have Jimmy Fallon. All right. See, we should just get back to uh, The Simpsons and not talk about the late night white men. Hey, but it was just announced that taking over uh, James Corden's spot will be a comedian, Taylor Tomlinson. So now it's a female. So we'll get uh, the, this. It's gonna be like the after or at midnight kind of reboot on CBS. Yeah, it's called After Midnight, and I'm curious to see what it is because I did love At Midnight. I do worry that since a lot of the material from that show came from Twitter, which is now known as X, and it's kind of a dumpster fire. What they'll do, but there's plenty about the internet, probably TikTok things and whatnot. Oh yeah, TikTok threads and the rest. Blue sky, blue chew. I wish Blue Chew would be a sponsor on this podcast. And Blue Chew, if you're out there, will be a sponsor for you. Sure. But give us more product. Free product, mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> not more. Not like I have any. Oh, no, me neither. Never. 
Uh, all right, Steve. Uh, hey, Marge is now wearing like a green military outfit and she prepares to go into the uh, NFT digitizer. So she give, is given a USB drive from Kylie, which is, of course, the key to the uh, blockchain's cryptographic protocol. So then Kylie does like a selfie with Marge, you know, because that's her thing, I guess, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, people do that. And then Gronk like spikes his football on the red button. I also like this, the portrayal of Gronk and this same he's just like, yeah. Gronk. Yeah. It's like the football man. It was <laughs> that uh, episode from a couple seasons ago. Yeah. I'm a man, a football man. Uh, so then Marge gets uh, sucked into the uh, blockchain. She's surrounded by NFTs such as the, uh, I guess these are all real NFTs, Steve? I think so. It's really hard to look up NFTs because you're there's allegedly only one of them, so you can't find pictures of them. <laughs> I don't understand NFTs. Like, right, right. Well, this is old man me coming in, but like I tried and I just it, it baffles me. Yeah, NFTs back in our day used to be no fudge. Today, yeah, you went to the fudge factory. <laughs> Naughty fuzzy testicles. That's what my NFTs are. Oh boy. <laughs> or if you're a Simpsons fan, it's a uh, Ned Flanders titties. <laughs> okay, well, so I guess some of these NFTs are like a uh, man attempting to dunk a basketball, a uh, prom night mixtape, and there's like several pixelated profiles of people, and a man who seems to constantly vomit uh, the colors of, you know, yellow, red, and green, like a kind of like a rainbow. Mm-hmm. And uh, all these uh, NFTs have low values all over their heads, uh, many just worth like a penny, the highest being $3.56. So Marge assesses her surroundings, thinking that she's in the blockchain, but a NFT a turtle wearing sunglasses calls her a noob and corrects her. She's actually on the block train. And then the camera zooms out to show a long line of train cars speeding forever through the loveless icy world created by Crypto Bros. Uh, this is a nice allusion to uh, the film from a few years back, Snowpiercer, uh, which I think I saw and I think I liked. I get confused. There's Snowpiercer. Is there like a show called like Shadow Piercer or or something? I thought there was like two snow type of things. What am I thinking of? Well, there is also I don't know if it still exists, but there is or was a Snowpiercer TV show. Okay, so um, of show and movie. Got it. Yeah, I didn't see a movie or TV show, obviously, because I would know what I'd be talking about. Uh, basically, the crux of it is it's the end of the world. People are forced to live on a train that is going somewhere, and there's like a class system, and the further up you go, the more wealthy you are. And so, in the back, they have to do a lot of manual labor. And the director of Parasite. And it's a allegory for society. Which, yeah. I mean, to be be fair, most media is. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, um, the train travels past a statue of a hooded character holding a Bitcoin, and that figure is Satoshi Nakamoto, the name used by person or persons who uh, first developed Bitcoin. Again, Bitcoin is shrouded in mystery, so it may have been one person, may have been several. Uh, the turtle goes on to say that the Snowpiercer-like train is powered by the most abundant fuel in the universe, FOMO, the fear of missing out. We then see a FOMO meter on the train, which shows various degrees of trends, such as... Never heard of it. Saw a tweet about it. Mentioned on the Today Show. Uber driver says, go for it. And mortgage the house? He. Hmm. Well, from a, uh, for a digital incarnation of an abstract mathematical concept, Mars finds the train to be a, a bit dusty. So Prom Night Mixtape explains in a British accent that they are on the last car of the train. 
the dwelling place of uh, NFT with no value, which is 99% of all NFTs created. <laughs> so Marge, who's now worth $8.02, realizes that being the second human NFT isn't that valuable. It's like being uh, the second man to walk on the moon. Do you <laughs> know their name, Steve? Nope. John, uh, probably. I think it was Spock. Ah, uh, yes. That's a famous space name, right? Mm-hmm. Dr. Spock, the uh, children's psychologist. Yeah. You got to take your babies to space to let them know. <laughs> so Mars asks where she can find Bart and a French egg with a five o'clock shadow, beret and cigarette hanging out of his mouth, tells Marge that Bart is in the front of the train where she can never go. Ooh. Determined, Marge tries to turn the hatch as the NFTs laugh at her. She falls back, landing on the French egg, crushing him and making him disappear. The color-vomiting uh, man tells Marge that she killed Ennui Oof-116, and then Marge's value is increased to 2180, and she's transported to the next train car because she's as valuable as the Cuddle Kittens, a bunch of cats, uh, NFTs that range in about between $20 and $50. So a wise Cuddle Kitten informs Marge that her mindless slaughter is referred to as disruption by the Crypto Bros, meaning that to rescue Bart, she has to kill a bunch of NFTs. I just love this visualization of Marge ready to just kill a bunch of cute cats. Yeah, it's very funny. And also I think about like if you were to show this episode to somebody like 20 years ago, how confused they would be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That would be very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So she's pulling out her uh, red pearl necklace and chokes the helpful cuddle kittens until its head pops off. Her value then jumps to $170.33, and she knows what she needs to do. And she, she grabs some kittens, ties their tails together to make, like, kitten nunchucks, and swings them, attacking the other cats. So she does this, and she apologizes, saying that it's nothing personal. She hopes that they don't feel pain with all the cats dead. She then goes to the next train car, kicking ass, Steve, and raising her net worth. I like badass Marge. It's cool. Yeah. This is very fun, uh, action-y sequence. Yeah. You know, we're complaining about how this episode is taking place after Halloween. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like scary. This just seems like, you know, action-y movie. So I think it's totally fine. Yeah. And I love the art direction, too, of when it pans out to show the outside of the train. And we get this, like, gray, kind of, like, bleak world. Right. And then back on the train, it's normal Simpsons. That's a, it's a nice touch. It is. Uh, so March progresses from car to car until she faces Itchy and Scratchy, who both have laser eyes. They go to shoot Marge, who is now valued at $123,000, but she jump kicks them and knocks their heads off. Uh, she then faces a gold statue of Poochie, who is worth $427,000. So the original dog from hell, no, not Severus, attacks Marge with his diamond hands, but Marge uses the hard diamonds to cut a hole in the nearby window, sucking out Poochie along with several other NFTs. Lisa and Homer watch on their laptops as Marge's value grows to nearly $1 million. Uh, Lisa worries that everyone is going to want human NFTs, and she is right. I love that the, the visualization on the train, the animation, everything's just so so well shot. Yeah. And then we see in the real, or the Simpsons real world with Lisa just looking just some symbols. Yeah. yeah. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, well, Kirk Van Houten arrives at the museum with Millhouse, who was promised by him that he was going to be taken to bumper boats. And how many times have I said, Steve, let's go take yeah, you two bumper boats, and I've always just yeah. he need to uh, a bar instead. Yeah, I want to go to bumper boats. Look, we drink first, then we go play bumper boats. Fine. 
right. So Kirk claims that uh, he still is going to take him to the bumper boats, but then tells Milhouse to uh, have more chocolate milk, which then we see is just Kalula. And uh, <laughs> Steve, I got you some chocolate milk. Mm, yum, yum. Mm. Mm. I'd rather have Kalula than chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, tastes like the chocolate milk my dad gave me. <laughs> oh boy, it wasn't actually clue. It was just chocolate milk that was in the back yeah. of the refrigerator, just fermented. Mm-hmm. It's really old. It's thick. It used to be white milk too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> gross. Uh, anyway, so the chief Wiggum shows up saying that no one is putting another child into a scanner. That's a very noble of him. Yeah. Oh, uh, but then he adds with uh, before he does. Oh. Yeah, so both Clancy and Kirk shove their sons into the machine, and then they are digitized into a Millhouse Rife hybrid known as Ralph House. <laughs> Ralph House says to Marge, like, kill Ralph House. <laughs> and she does, but it's, you know, you don't see the, the damage and the bloodshed, even though it's, like, green and fake. I kind of wanted to see her bashing <laughs> the kids, like, skulls in. It would be kind of fun. Yeah. But, it, no. Uh, so now her value is $10 million. Whoa. Yeah, so let's uh, hear a fun clip. The front of the train. I made it. Bart, we're getting out of here. Whoa, Mom, what's the rush? Grab yourself a jaded ape and take a load off. <coughs> you never liked my friends. Mom's almost got Bart out. Don't let your son become a worthless human again. Sell him to me. For $100 million. No, Dad. If you sell Bart to Mr. Burns, he'll be trapped on the blockchain forever. But this is my chance not to miss out. After I've missed out on everything. The housing bubble. The first tech bubble. The second tech bubble. The current tech bubble. Just one time, I want to be the guy that gives all his money to Bernie Madoff. Mom, get out of there. Dad's going to crack. Don't do it, Homer. No. Although, Um, I mean, it's, it's a... Treehouse of Horror. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, and so the the ape is a reference to Bored Ape, which is a one of the most famous NFTs, I guess. I remember, actually, I remember seeing that one. And did yeah. someone famous buy that? Yeah, somebody, I think, famous and shitty, maybe? I don't know. I was going to say, was it, was it Seth Green? Oh, it, I think you're right. It was. He's not shitty. Never mind. I think it's because I remember, because he does the stupid monkey productions, and then, of course, he gets a stupid monkey NFT. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> and now it's like worthless. Yeah. Yeah, as are most NFTs nowadays. <laughs> uh, so Marge rushes to get herself uh, and Bart uh, off the block train as Homer fingers hovers over the sell button on his phone. Uh, Lisa then discovers that Homer did it. She can't believe it, but he did it. I love this animation too. Mm-hmm. It was actually really tense, like the the back and forth between Marge grabbing Bart and then the key. And then you have like... It feels like five seconds of yeah black. I mean, it's probably only like a second, but still, you're like you're kind of like there's genuine suspense there. Yeah, yeah, it was really well yeah. done. Yeah. Uh, so, but Marge and Bart beam back into the empty art museum, and uh, Marge is glad they made it, and Bart is eager to tell Homer that his the inside of his phone smells funny, and Lisa tells him what actually happened is that Homer sold himself. He was so afraid of missing out that he tokened his own life. Homer is pleased to be living up on the front of the train, munching on a twerked chicken, which I don't know why, but that really, the twerking chicken really disturbed me because it's basically a chicken shaking its ass and Homer, you know, takes a piece off. Being a millennial, eating ass. That's right. Uh, All while getting a pedicure from the board eight. Uh, The train then comes to a screeching halt as the FOMO is gone. 
Homer's price, which was at $100 million, plummets to a nickel as a Nyan cat tells Homer that the NFT craze is over. He uh, lets out a loud, annoyed grunt, causing an avalanche, covering the train in snow, and then he romanticizes the uh, joys of train transit. I like how this wrapped up two of them even acknowledging like NFTs aren't a thing anymore. And, you know, they had a couple years to produce this during the NFT craze. So mm-hmm. they can't, we can't complain about, oh, they're doing an NFT thing. It's so 2019. So good on them on that. Uh, You're right. It really put a bow on that and the, yeah, time timefulness of it. We're down one segment, Steve. Should we get to the second segment? I can't wait. Our next Thrilling Tale of Terror begins on Thursday, October 7th, 1993. Steve, that's old footage from Season five's Cape Fear. You know, considered one of the top ten episodes of The Simpsons, right? Yeah. It's the end of the episode. And you can tell it's from the 90s because, you know, we got the 4-3 aspect ratio. The, mm-hmm. uh, the Snyder cut. The Snyder ratio. <laughs> and we're going to that fun episode. I love it when they do a callback, right? We're mm-hmm. using it all. It's, you know, the end of the episode with uh, Sideshow Bob singing from HMS Pinafore, and, you know, Bart gets away with this. So what are they going to do here? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, we still see the rest of the family tied up. Um, but then things change a little bit, Steve. We get also the the aspect ratio turns into, like, you know, your standard 16-9 ratio mm-hmm. that we're used to on our big old TVs these days. 16-9. Nice. <laughs> but then all of a sudden... As Lisa watches, Sideshow Bob is actually successful and kills Bart, hacking him to bits. You're like, wait a minute, that's not how it happened. There's so much we could talk about that was going on in this episode, Steve. Yeah. Um, so Lisa's screaming at the side of her brother's death, right? And then all of a sudden it goes to 30 years later, which is, I'm looking at my watch. That's now times. Hey. Yeah. Uh, is that episode really 30 years old? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> and we see... Our age, Lisa Simpson. This is she's literally playing our age right now, Steve. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, actually, Bart or Craig. To be fair, she's actually <laughs> younger than us. Oh, because she's thirty-eight. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Uh oh well, that's fine. Um, see, we can lie. We can say we're thirty-eight still. Okay, yeah, I'm twenty-nine. We're twenty-eight. We're still twenty. Yeah, yeah. So it's thirty years later, Steve. She's teaching a criminal psychology class at Springfield U, which um. Their motto is, I think it's in Latin, Steve. Um, I don't know. I don't speak Latin. Can you? No lacor Latin. Yeah, I don't speak Latin. Yeah, no lacor Latin. Yeah, I don't speak Latin. No lacor Latin. I know you're reading that to me in Latin, but I just want to let you know I don't speak Latin. I'm saying I don't speak Latin. No lacor Latin. Wait a minute. <laughs> Who's on first? Second base. Oh, boy. Steve, can we just play a clip and not do a bit? Fine. It was only by following my hunch that we found the East Side Strangler on the West Side of town. Can you explain how you overcame childhood trauma to become the nation's most renowned criminal psychologist? For that story, you'll have to read my book. (laughs) Officer Muntz. Told you I'd smell you later. Been a long time. Oh, look at us. We thought we were going to stay young forever. Some of us did. Oh, right, like Bart, because he got murdered. Speaking of gruesome junk, we could use your help on a case. 
I'm flattered, but I'm the dean of the true crime department. I can't just run off and... The killer left a message, and we think it's for you. I love Nelson just with the... Uh, we thought we all were going to stay young to get young. Oh yeah, Bart did, because he was murdered. Yeah, your brother, he was killed. Christmas. Very funny. Um, also, I think that Lisa probably had, or Yearly probably had some fun being the Dean of True Crime, since she has her True Crime podcast. Oh, yeah. This must be yeah. fun for her. Yeah. And by the way, the book that she wrote is Mind of the Mind Hunter, A Profile in Profiling by Dr. Professor Lisa Simpson, PhD. Wow. Yeah. Prestigious. Yeah. Is this going to be then a parody of uh, Mind Hunter? It's a parody of a lot of things, actually. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Lisa Nelson arrive at the scene of the crime where someone has written Hi Lisa in bloody intestines. The door slams shut and we learn that the title of the story is 8 or E-I-8-H-T. So we have a parody of Silence of the Lambs, Mindhunter as you mentioned, How to Get Away with Murder, and Ses 7, and, or 7. So it's a whole melange of things. So as the police uh, work on their forensics, Lisa sees the body of Rod Flanders just brutally cut in half at the waist and left divided on his bed with the words, Rod is the first, written in blood on the wall above him. This really gruesome. This whole segment is very bloody. Yeah, yeah. And I'm here for it, Steve. Me too. Well, despite the fact that Rod grew up to be shockingly foul-mouthed prop comedian with the tour trunk full of attitude, he didn't deserve this. <laughs> that was just very funny. He grew up to be a foul-mouthed prop comedian. Hehe. <laughs> And there's a really good payoff later in the episode from that. I, I thought it was great. Um, so Nelson tells Lisa that only in a super traumatized profiler like her can figure out what happened. So Lisa examines her surroundings and discovers that the killer had some fun playing tic-tac-toe with the victim's blood and finding time to play some solitaire, putting a red king on a red queen. Hey, Just throwing the rules out the window, Steve. Ugh. Ugh. So after impressing Nelson with noticing the victim had a moment where they walked into a room and forgot why, Lisa warns that there will be others. Ooh. I'm excited to see who dies next. Yes. Uh, Jimbo pops his head into the crime scene to inform Officer Munts that there was, in fact, another murder. So on the wall, written in blood, are the words, Montague Prince is the first, and it's Martin Prince, and he's been turned into kind of a bloody makeshift clock with his hands pointing to the times and his heart, which is hanging by entrails out of his body, is acting as a pendulum. And then they're, they're like, we got another one and another one. So we got a body with no skin on it. And behind him on a clothesline is the skin, the skin suit. And uh, next to that is a sheet that says Dermot Spuckler is the first. And Dermot has no junk. It's true. <laughs> Poor Dermot. Oh. Unless the murderer, like, cut off their genitalia and kept it as a trophy? Maybe. Mm. Makeshift sex toy? I don't know. So I was kind of wondering why it didn't say Martin Prince is the first. It said Montagain. Mm -hmm. And that is a reference to Michel de Montagain, philosopher from the French Renaissance. And so he kind of made uh, philosophy popular as a literary genre. He's kind of considered the first man of humanity because he kind of wrote about how People's experiences speak to one's philosophy, and so he's kind of the first modern man. So, there you go. Lisa's smart. Why would you say Lisa's smart? Because she solved the crime. 
Oh, oh, you're like the murderer's smart. Is yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Oof. Well, he dodged a knife there. <laughs> so there's another killing and then another. And then another murder is takes place in the kitchen where the familiar bloody calling cards reads, Sherry is the first. So a glory and elaborate Rube Goldberg device was created. And Lisa knows uh, the uh, one person deranged enough to offer insight of the string of murders. I think we should find out in this clip. The severed hand opens the fridge, which tugs on that strip of sinew, turning over the eyeball cup, which rolls down the spine, startles the cat, which leaps onto the butter dish seesaw, and sends the other eyeball flying, turning on the coffee maker. Even I can't get inside a mind this deranged. There's only one person who can. Little Lisa Simpson. You really made something of yourself after I made mincemeat of your brother. Come to thank me. No. Rude. I don't have time for your games, Bob. I'm working on it. Yes, a case so confounding, you're actually willing to seek my help. The Rube Goldberg Sherry is actually quite impressive. Hat tip, psychopath. What about the identical messages? How can they all be the first? Really, Professor Simpson? Am I meant to spoon-feed you all the answers? Speak in riddles or drop a clue in a clever anagram hidden in something I've just said right now? This is a waste of time. Perhaps a limerick will help. There once was a shiny machete that turned poor Bartet to spaghetti. Hmm, I kind of want some spaghetti right now. Mmm, spaghetti. Ah, how great is it to having Kelsey Grammer back? Sideshow Bob. Yeah, and I like that they kind of aged him up a little bit. <laughs> like, he still has his hair, but like balding and very funny. And it's good cross-promotion for Paramount Plus' his own, <laughs> Frasier. Um, so Lisa tells Sideshow Bob that he's going to die in a cell. And when he does, wherever she is, she'll be dancing. And then we go to the cemetery where we see the tombstones of Bart Simpson, who was brutally slain. Mart Simpson, who died of sorrow. And Homer Simpson, who choked on a tennis ball. <laughs> kind of funny. It's also kind of sad that Lisa's all alone in the world. Well, not entirely, but you know. Yeah, I, I'm watching like, where is Maggie? Where is Maggie? Also, if you're brutally slain, do you write that on your tombstone? <laughs> no, I don't think you need to. Like, Well, I mean... That- Kind of think of it, if we were both brutally slain, I think I kind of would want that on my tombstone. It's kind of badass. I mean, if you're walking through a tombstone yeah. or through a graveyard and you see brutally slain, you're going to take a photo of that. That's going to, you're going to remember that. So yeah, I guess so. I don't know if you see this, but now there's like, if you go to tombstones, there's QR codes on, you can get like QR codes on tombstones. Mm-hmm. And then when you, you know, take your phone to it, it'll show like a uh, like videos of the deceased or photo albums, whatever, you know, so you learn about the person. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, how many people are going to, like, Rickroll people? So, <laughs> Or yeah. you know, like, if, like, hackers hack into it and then just it goes to, like, hardcore porn. <laughs> it's funny, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's not such a good idea to put a QR code on too. So. Yeah, because you don't want to, like, see, like, two dudes railing each other while you're grieving the loss of your father. Well, I mean, I think you're kind of be curious to, look, to go around the tombstones and, like, if there's QR codes and it scans it, mm-hmm. you can learn about the person. Like, I, but I want to, to learn about, like, the old people. Like, mm-hmm. the people that died in, like, 1812, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know That's, why they were to be a QR code. This what we need to use AI for is the QR code makes a video of a person who died in, like, say, 1856 <laughs> of them, <laughs> like, living their lives as AI assumes that it is. <laughs> I love it. There you go. <laughs> or so it'll Rick roll. So if you see like an old dude from the 18th century, he'll be doing uh, the Rick Astley 
music video. <laughs> all right, it's, it's all ragtimey. Um, so uh, a funeral is held for beloved wife and creepy sister, Sherry McElberry. Uh, Nelson asked her twin sister, Terry, if anybody would want to hurt her sister. But Terry states that everyone loved her big sis. But Lisa's confused since they were twins. But Terry explains that Sherry was born first before claiming Sherry's husband as her own. Uh, Lisa then has uh, what one might consider a somewhat obvious revelation. Sherry is the first. Rod Flanders, Dermot Spuckler, all firstborns. That's the pattern. And Bob said something about an anagram taking us to the killer's lair. Oh, that's it. And then we get to a very funny visual gag. They arrive at anagram spooky abandoned slaughterhouse. That was very funny. Yeah. The anagram. I really liked that one. Good. Yeah. It's funny because my nerd brain was like, okay, ready to solve something. Yeah. And I, there's nothing to solve. It's just anagrams. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Nelson and Lisa enter the empty warehouse full of dangling meat hooks. And Nelson goes to investigate a sound, telling Lisa to wait behind. So as he walks around, Nelson asks, hey, meat hooks, hook much meat? It's kind of scaring me, Steve. Because as he laughs to himself, he goes, ha, but can't get the other ha out because a meat hook impales him through the back of the head. Just like jetting out of his mouth. Very gross. Very graphic. Very graphic. Uh, So Lisa, meanwhile, opens door after door looking for Nelson. Just then, a drop of blood drips from a blow. She uh, looks up to find Nelson's bloodied body hanging by several hooks. She screams in terror and walks into a room, shutting the door behind her. She looks around and discovers that the killer's lair looks exactly like her childhood bedroom, complete with a Lisa Frank calendar from 1993 with October 7th circled. But how? She then sees a monitor and hopes that the killer is on the security footage. She rewinds the video to make a shocking discovery. What is it? She killed Nelson. But how, Steve? Oh, I thought you knew. Ah, well, so the police arrive and they arrest her. But Lisa swears she can't be the killer as she turned her trauma into healing. Oprah even said so. So back at the Springfield Maximum Security Prison, which you now can rent out for corporate events, Sideshow Bob in this clip is apologizing for his behavior at dinner when a familiar looking guard is locking him up. I'm sorry for the imbroglio, but if the chef de cuisine insists on calling it Taco Tuesdays, it can't very well serve, flout us, and expect us not to make a fuss. Hello, Bob. How, how did you get in here? Well, I knew if I killed enough people in the most gruesome possible ways, they'd send me to your prison. But to get into your cell, I had a little help. Lisa, the killer? I never thought you had it in you. The Lisa you knew? Didn't. But I'm another story. Oh, really? Split personalities? Trope alert! Call the first thought police! Professor Lisa had no idea she was my accomplice. But she's gone now. She was my last victim. Or rather, second to last. The penultimate. Spooky, Steve. Very spooky indeed. I mean, would you be pissed off if it was someone said we're having Taco Tuesday and you have flautas instead? I mean, I love flautas, so I wouldn't be mad. First of all, they're they're easier to eat because tacos can be a little messy. Yeah. And flautas are nicely packed and, uh, you know, I mean, you are in prison after all. <laughs> 
Uh, but there's Maggie, Steve. There's Maggie. She <laughs> helped. And I love how you know how I was complaining about how in the first segment I wanted to see Ralph House like him being murdered. <laughs> Here we get to actually see up close of everyone getting murdered. Yeah, like the one person I can't recognize who just gets like cut right in half. Yeah, I think that's Dermot. <laughs> Dermot, okay. And then like Sherry's decapitation. <laughs> wow, this is like the most gruesome I think of the Treehouse of Horror. I think we've seen. I think so, and um, to think that Lisa, or, you know, well, Lisa, is the one to do it, is just, like, pretty wild that she's, like, the the biggest killer in Springfield. Well, don't they always portray serial killers or murderers, like, to be intelligent people? Because, yeah, it does or, take, you know, like, high intelligence. It does take a fair amount of planning, I would assume. Yeah, uh, Dumb Dumb can't, like, you know, just kill a person. Yeah. Get away with it. I used the wrong end of the knife. <laughs> now my hand hurts. <laughs> Homer would be a terrible murderer is what we're trying to say exactly to wrap it up Lisa plays a vinyl recording of he's an Englishman from HMS Pinafore it's a nice uh, little touch as she hacks away at Sideshow Bob and then we see outside of the cell Maggie dressed as a cop as you mentioned as blood oozes out of the door so yeah um, I think that's, this is a really fun one but did you notice that like all the cops were bullies yeah former bullies it's a very kind of fun, like, uh, statement on society, how the bullies that we had when we were kids, <laughs> a lot of them grew up to be cops. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I also like so, Jimbo with the glasses. Yeah. So does that mean Maggie was a bully? I mean, she could have been. I mean, there's a whole TV show of, like, who raised Maggie and Lisa? Like, I just assumed, that, so when Bart dies, Marge probably dies not too long after. Right. Homer... He grabbed a can <laughs> of tennis balls thinking they're Pringles. Right, right. And just like shoved the whole thing down his mouth and suffocated that way. Ooh, new Pringle, Pringles round. <laughs> hmm, fuzzy. <laughs> uh, and that's how he died. He, he ate the can at Marge's funeral. So yeah, yeah. So now in my story that now Lisa is uh, has to raise Maggie on her own. She's eight years old. We should only fuel her rage more because- yeah. She thinks about why she is like this, and it's because of Sideshow Bob, so she makes a solid plan. I mean, I guess an eight-year-old doesn't get custody over a, a one-year-old baby. I don't think that's how that works. But when you're smart so, as Lisa... She can she can be a babysitter, true. Well, I'm just thinking, so probably next to Ken, it'd probably be Abe, right? Yeah. But then he probably said nope, and that took t- too many pills, and then killed himself. Yeah, and then they and probably, probably stay with... Patty uh, and Selma. Yeah, yeah. And Patty and Selma, they died from too much smoking so they get dead of lung cancer <laughs> so now lisa has to take care of patty or selma's adoptive kid <laughs> and jub jub and jub jub uh because who'd be the next of kin there uh or maybe flanders then adopts and then she got so uh, yeah it, it's, it's a whole story we'll, they'll come up with it for us eventually Steve. should we just get to the third act yeah yeah okay <laughs> right. so our third and final act steve begins where many uh, tragedies have taken place at the Springfield Nuclear Power Plant. So Homer gorges on some lard lead donuts, despite the sign that says one per employee. And then Smithers comes in to tell him not to eat in the turbine room. So Homer wonders when that rule took effect. And then Wayland points to a sign that says no eating in here, since always, and it features uh, a silhouette of Homer eating a donut crossed out. So Homer is complaining about the nanny state winning again. <laughs> Like how he couldn't tan in the reactor core or couldn't text and drive while eating ribs. 
that's not an America I know and love. Uh-uh. You can't even trim your hedges with machine guns these days. And I got in trouble for doing that yesterday. <laughs> so he wonders when everyone got so scared, thinking that people would be fine if they just used common sense, like him. <laughs> so he then stands up, causing a donut to roll out of his lap and through the plant. He shouts jailbreak and chases after the pastry as it rolls uh, through green toxic waste, past the break room, over a bridge, through Burns' office, and into a life extension laboratory. Inside the lab, there are several caged animals, such as a koala bear, some pigs, lizards, a rhinoceros, a dodo, and even Animal himself, who's depressed and uh, behind a, a drum kit shouting, Woman! So Homer picks up the donut, which is covered in all kinds of debris, fur, and wings. Oh, Steve? Yep. I was watching this episode. I got inspiration. Here you go. Open the box. Oh. That's nice and pink. Uh-huh. Oh, it's all covered in all kinds of yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, go ahead and take a bite. Some curly hairs, some, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I shaved down there today. All right, well, here goes nothing. Mmm, oh. sweet. Mmm, crunchy. Mmm, furry. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot to say, you could have either that uh, donut or uh, a pickle. Mm, I'm going to stick with the donuts. You sure? It's just, it's a, just a classic Vlasic pickle. It's like in brine and everything, though. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, well, and it's probably not. Is it fresh? Yeah, I just got it at the the store. I opened the can and popped. Okay, well, yeah. Taking that into consideration, I'm gonna go with the donut. Okay. Um, do you do anything to wash that down with, Steve? I got uh, crab juice or Mountain Dew. Ew. I'll go with the crab juice. Of course. You could save that crab juice later and make a really kick-ass uh, Bloody Mary. Yeah. I don't want a Caesar. You don't like a Caesar? I don't like a Caesar. Uh, I, I I barely like a Bloody Mary, and that's like once in a blue moon, but... Okay. Well, the one thing missing from my uh, cocktails is not seafood. Okay. <laughs> Just, that's my own opinion. Canada, you do you, but no. <laughs> all right. I'll take your poutine and your all-dressed chips, but you can keep your mm. fishy best chips. cocktails. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, so Homer looks around, and he sees the uh, sign that says, no eating here either, seriously. But he uh, tallies the score as Homer won, Nanny State zero, and munches on the donut. So as expected, later that evening, when Homer is in bed, he's being interrupted by stomach pains. His belly is glowing green, and he tosses and turns. He blames the uh, stupid radioactive garbage donut for mutating his DNA while he sleeps. So uh, the following morning, he finds that his, or Ned's, morning paper is missing. And later in this clip, we're going to play... Uh, Ned isn't uh, feeling well either. Hey, who stole my Flanderizes newspaper? Sorry about that, Homerino, but I, I whited out the crossword after I did it, so you can enjoy it too. <laughs> Better from the chimney than the furnace, am I right? <laughs> so you see, there's nothing in the Bible that says a pastor and his wife can't take separate vacations. <sighs> Daddy, are you being tickled by the Holy Spirit? I've been neighborinoed into home diddly Omer. And why am I in church when football is on? I like in the beginning when Homer said stoled. Not stole. It's great. And I mentioned it in the last segment, 
that we saw Rod was a prop comedian. Mm-hmm. And we see him reading in the church that he's reading a Carrot Top book. I thought that was very fun. Like, yes. Great callback. So also, I think that's in the canon now. Okay. I know it's a Treehouse of Horror, but hear me out. You see, the first segment, we were to assume that Lisa was murdered and then you know, grew up and then lived that life, right? Well, in this one, that didn't happen. But right. in both universes, Rod is still going to be a prop comedian. I like it. Yeah. So I'm liking this new uh, Rod outcome. I, I I think it would be great to see them, Rod and Todd, like get away from like the Jesus of of Ned. You know, they're gonna like renounce like the church when they're adults. For the longest time, like they were gonna be gay was gonna be their thing with the group, which is like now like kind of like a fucked up thing to say. Right, right. Because there's nothing wrong with being gay, you know. <laughs> so now, like I like the idea of like kids who a lot of kids who are exposed to like religion a lot, you know, will veer away either go further into it or get the fuck away from it yeah and i love that rod and todd will be the type that will get the fuck away from it <laughs> also I, I looked it up and so the name of care top's book is uh my life at the as the top um but he actually has written an actual book scott thompson aka care top not called, kids in the hall no no the other one called care top's junk in the trunk some assembly required and it is going for $36 on Amazon. You know, I know Carrot Top is such the punchline yeah. for many people, but the people that have seen his like show, like Gone to like, Vegas and watched it say, it's very funny. Yeah, and yeah. He's obviously talented. It's just, I think we're more concerned with like how roided up he is. Yeah. I don't know if it is like sterile. I mean, he works out a ton, but it's just big muscles on on that, that mug. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, and Caratop's been a guest on The Simpsons, so. Yeah, and more power to you, Mr. Top. <laughs> I hope you find your carrot bottom. <laughs> you truly were the chairman of the board. <laughs> Again, that's spelled B-O-R-E-D. R-I-P for The best. Um, I do want to talk, too, about how Ned looks like the Ned-Homer hybrid, because he still has the Ned stash, but he has the Homer muzzle, and I, I, I just think he looks fun. Uh, so Ned, who has turned into a Homerized version of himself, Let's out a loud burp, which causes a cloud of green gas to inhibit all of the churchgoers. As the service ends, people leave, burping and turning into Homer versions of themselves. We have Helen Lovejoy stating, Kiss my ass, churchos. Homer slash Julio, Homer Julio, saying he's fat, he's bald, and he's never felt sexier, baby. So Homer Kirk chokes Homer Milhouse, and Homer Nelson replaces his usual ha-ha with a woo-hoo. Uh, so the Marquis of the Church uh, says that the pancake breakfast is sold out, but then some of the letters fall off, leaving the words Lout Break, which <laughs> is the title of this clip. So Kent Brockman reports on the epidemic before falling victim to it himself. A mysterious affliction has descended upon Springfield. Citizens of every age, race, and catchphrase are mysteriously transforming into bald, pear-shaped doofy. <laughs> Donuts, too, has diabetes type 2. Uh. News is stupid. Somebody put on wrestling. Do all these burping baldos remind you of anyone? I'd know that butt scratch anywhere. Everyone's turning into dad. It's just everyone being Simpsonized or Homerized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just really funny. It was announced probably a few years ago that Homer will never choke Bart again. It's just a rule. But... We could allow Kirk choking Millhouse. That's fine. I mean, 
more and more, Kirk is just a piece of shit. Like, yeah. He was giving him Kahlua earlier. And we've talked about how he's, they've made him kind of like the, uh, what's the male Karen? Is that called a Kevin or a Kyle? A Chad, I believe. A Chad. Okay. And yeah, <laughs> he is a piece of shit. Yeah. I really like Doofy as the plural of doofuses or doofus. It's really good. Um, also, I don't know why, but the image of uh, Lou shooting the firelights or the, the traffic lights is really funny to me. Firelights. That's how I see uh, traffic. Steve, did, did uh, Homer burp on you too? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, because it's just like the expression on his face. Like, there's no joy. There's no sadness. No. It's just like content. Like, all right, just shoot these firelights. <laughs> and also, uh, Donut Stew has diabetes type 2. <laughs> this is so much fun. Um, we're, uh, we're not laughing at our type 2 diabetes. No, no. There, but we're laughing with you. Yeah. Even though it's like, not as bloody as the last segment. It's still kind of gruesome seeing his people as Homer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so as Lisa just says, everyone was turning into dad. A team of soldiers in hazmat suits just bust through the, the house, and they load Bart, Lisa, and Maggie into a, a CDC helicopter. I also like how, too, that clip, uh, when we see Bart and Lisa and Maggie on the couch, everyone, or Bart and Lisa, or Bart and Maggie both have on their phones, and, like, Maggie's just <laughs> on her cell phone. <laughs> One years old and has a phone already. <laughs> so below Springfield is being overrun with belching Homer, Homer likes, lounging around the city. And then there's Homer versions of Krusty, Sideshow Mel, Patty, Selma, Mr. Burns, Agnes, Skinner, Seymour Skinner, Snake Jailbird, King and Kodo. So there they are. They're in this episode. Mm-hmm. You see Otto there. They didn't do a, a close up on Krusty. I was a little disappointed in that segment <laughs> that they didn't because it should just look the same. Yeah. Yeah. That'd been funny. Yeah. So the chopper lands at a safe site where Professor Frink tells the Simpsons kids that their father's less than stellar genetic code is spreading through the burp-borne transmission. So they need his DNA to cure the virus. So Bart and Lisa and Maggie are the only ones impervious to the virus. So they need to be the ones to find him. And I'm thinking, where's Marge? Where is Marge? Hmm. Segment one should have been called, Where's Bart? Mm -hmm. It's the NFT. The second segment should have been, Where's Maggie? Mm-hmm. And a third segment, where's Marge? <laughs> Every episode should be called Where's Somebody Else. Most of the newer seasons, it would be called Where's Maggie? Cause, yeah. You know, and maybe like three a, a year. Mm-hmm. And like last week should have been Where's Bart? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so speaking of Bart, he thinks for a moment and then figures that since it's 1130 in the morning, Homer must be at Moe's. Uh, they enter the tavern, which is full of Homerized versions of Springfield's various residents. We got everybody in there. And Lisa asks Mo if he's seen her father, but the bartender, who's wearing his own hazmat suit made of gardening gloves, some plastic wrap, and duct tape. Do you think that's also what he was wearing during COVID? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I ain't wearing a mask, but if I got it, this is what I'll wear. <laughs> no, it was probably like, you know, the beginning when they talked about the pandemic and how like some people were wearing masks and it was like masks won't do anything you have to wear gloves mm-hmm. he was probably like in that phase yeah and then once we found out it was like oh you should just wear masks he was like i'm not gonna do that he was probably a like, face was... shield guy <laughs> no he just didn't do any of that that's true yeah he's well they're gonna let the government tell him what to do the nanny state steve that's right fran drescher <laughs> taking over sag after uh so just uh there's so there's just hundreds uh silly versions of homer which is the greatest thing that's ever happened to Mo because he's never made so much money. And then he serves Santa's little Homer, which is really cute and sad. A dog bowl full of duff. Also, Steve, here you go. Dog bowl full of duff. 
Well, Lisa notes that her real father wasn't at the bowling alley, the candy store, nor was he mocking the hippos at the zoo. <laughs> so the Homer version of Groundskeeper Willie walks by tossing an empty bucket of Ray's House of Beaks chicken, where they fry the bucket. So Bart picks up the bucket, realizing that Homer had some of that chicken the previous night. And when that happens, where does Homer go the following day? Why, where we all men would go. Mm-hmm. Men's room of Sudsy Car Wash. But why? Um, is this really the most convenient bathroom for your father? It's the closest one Mom will let him use. Dad, we need you to save the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you believe some idiot left his perfectly good back scratcher in there? Look, it goes oh the way down. Oh. What? Now, if you'll just board the Frankenmacopter. We're not calling it that. <clears throat> and then we'll pop your DNA into the Frank tabulizer. And... We're not calling it that. Oh, for gliding, chiving mice, and everything will go back to the way it was. Wait, hold on. Why would I want that? Finally, everyone thinks the way I do. Nobody's making up stupid rules about bicycle helmets or where you can smoke cigars. Want to drive without a seatbelt? Face time while jaywalking? Enjoy a sugary soda? Go ahead, you're not hurting anyone. It's a utopia. No, a metopia. Yes, well, you don't really want everyone to be like you. Earth-shattering reveal! No! <laughs> I like how when he's like, get to the freecopter, <laughs> the pilot's like, we're not calling it that. Yeah, great out of the blue. But uh, Steve, what was that uh, earth-shattering reveal of the kids screaming? Well... Frank opens up the back of the van to show Marge, bald and Homer-shaped, with his trademark muzzle. She's uh, sitting on a couch, surrounded by empty pizza boxes, laughing like Homer, wondering when the insurance company commercials got so funny. Frank tells Homer that cooperating with him is the only way to get Marge back to normal. And Homer tells Marge that she's never looked more beautiful. And they kiss. And so Homer tells his localized spouse that when they get home, he wants to bump muzzles. Uh, so Frank then pleads with Homer. Please, please, if we don't have some competent people left to run things, society will collapse. Coders to run the internet that feeds you the latest misinformation. Pilots to fly the planes you need to be restrained on. I mean a world without experts. Does speaker ever shut up? <laughs> Good one, me, Marge. Well, you leave me no choice. I'm calling in a nuclear airstrike to obliterate all the Homerized Springfielders, including, very sadly, the touring company of Kinky Boots. Obliterating in three, two... Hey, you know what you need? A nice, relaxing scratch on the back. No, no! Oh, a lifetime of study and education down the... This must be just like living in paradise. <laughs> and that was Freak turned it into Homer Freak. Mm-hmm. I like Homer Marge calling him Beaker. Yeah. <laughs> so that's two Muppets references in this episode. It is, yeah. I also like the fact that the uh, back stretcher, <laughs> the way that he used it to scratch his back, then his ass, then his junk, and went all the way around. And then it, yeah. it's the one that got Freak as well. And found it, of course, in a restroom. Yeah. <laughs> restroom. That's, that's fun. Yeah, just the picture of Homer Marge, like, when did insurance co- commercials get so funny? <laughs> insurance commercials are the worst. I don't... And she would be... Marge would be the type that think they're funny. Like, she probably thinks flows like, the funniest. Yeah. I just don't need my insurance to be funny. Yeah. Like, the the llama, which one's that? Uh, Doug. Or the emu. Yeah. Doug, uh, Liberty Mutual, yeah. 
Yeah, and like they they're taking the Geico route because Geico has like five different spokespeople, right? Because they also have Phil Lamar doing the voice and the like the attractive actor who can't say Liberty Bibbity or whatever. Yeah, there's just too many mascots, and they're yeah insurance companies. They can't. Don't get me started. They should all just be cavemen and call it a day. <laughs> I just said, don't get me started. Maybe me that bit that uh, was at SNL. Coming full circle, starting from that TV now, wrapping with SNL. Was Beautiful. it um, Anna Gasteyer with the? No, no, it was a. It was, yeah, it was Anna Gasteyer. She was like the the comedian. Whereas, yeah, the don't get. No, it was Molly Shannon. Don't get me started. Don't or was it even get me started? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's Molly Shannon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, she's great. Yeah. <laughs> and if you were like Homer, we'd. And if you're a significant other, like, transform into you version of her, would you be like Homer, like, damn, this is hot? No, I'd burn it with fire. <laughs> Sounds awful. Let your wife know that. Yeah. If you look like me, I will burn you with fire. <laughs> yeah, Marge is not looking good. No. <laughs> okay. Well, so after all the uh, various Homers dance to a David Lee Roth hit of uh, Living in Paradise, we see the effects of Homer's eyesing the world, and Guy Fieri is elected president. Now- I think I'd live in that world. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. And also, two weeks in a row, we get a Guy Fieri reference. Maybe that's like, because we lost, we didn't have a Bezos this week. Oh, right. So is this our new uh, hope for the hat trick? There better be a Guy Fieri reference next week. Yeah. Let's hope. So then Wimbledon is now a uh, home of the uh, Cornell Championship, which I got to say, I'd probably watch that over yeah. real Wimbledon. <laughs> uh, the Taj Mahal is now the Taj Mahal you can eat. <laughs> It's starting to look really good, Steve, this this plan. Yeah, especially if that's all you can eat, Indian food. Indian food's the best. I love it so much. And then we could go to Paris now to Margaritaville. Also, uh, another reference, yeah. And the Homer's right jeeps up and down the pyramids of Giza <laughs> as uh, the green burp clouds, uh, they fill the earth, Steve, and that's, that's how we end our Treehouse of War. Beautiful. We got another one done. Before we go on break, Steve, can I just request that we uh, go through the uh, the actors, our actors, uh, fun voices? Oh, yeah. Or fun at, fun names. All right. So Dan Castaneda is Dan of the Dead. Julie Kavner as Creepy Kavner. Nancy Cartwright is still Nancy Bart Fright. Mucculent Mucky Shirley Smith as Yearly Smith. Hank Azaria is Blank Asteria. Uh, Harry Shear is Harry. Does this look infected, Shear? Special guest friend, Matthew Friend, is Doormat Friend. Special guest voice, Kelsey Grammer, is Kelsey Grammer. Do you think they're like, uh, Kelsey, do you want to have a funny name in Treehouse of Her? Who I ruin the day with my name is Kelsey. Mocked. I don't know. Yeah. Kelsey, fall off the stage, Grammer. <laughs> oh, that's right, because he fell off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be Kelsey Grammer with an A instead of an E at the end, Grammar. I like that, yeah. Um, we got Kylie Jenner. We also have Pamela Hayden as Pamela Headstone Hayden. Uh, Tress McNeil is Tara McNeil. We've got J. Michael Richardson as Candyman Richardson. Gray Griffin as Prey Deville. Chris Edgerly as Rip Dedergerly. Maggie Roswell is Maggie Rigor Mortis Roswell. We've got uh, Jenny Yokoburi as Jenny Yokoburi. And that's it for the guest stars. Um, fun stuff, Steve. A lot of fun. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. And uh, we'll share our thoughts right after this.
Alrighty, Craig, we're back. Let's finish up our discussion of Treehouse of Horror 34. We'll talk about these things that scared us, the things that spooked us, and the things that made us laugh. And we'll find out what we're watching next week. But before we do all of that, uh, let's uh, exchange some gifts, some trick-or-treats, if you will. So, Craig, I got you, so I wanted to get you something special that kind of related to this episode. So, I got you an NFT of Carrot Top turned into Homer. More like Homer Top. Exactly. And let me check my uh, Robinhood app, and it seems like it's worth four cents at the moment. So, wow. One of the more valuable NFTs at the moment. <laughs> uh, well, I gave you, like, lots of gifts during the episode. It's true, yeah. You still expect a gift from me. Steve, what I give you is the corpse of Dermot Spunkler. Oh, I thought you were going to say Mulroney. No, he's, he's still alive. Okay. As of this recording. Yeah. You get you get the Dermot Spunkler skin suit. Ah, nice. I can, uh, yeah. can finally feel like my penis is bigger. This guy just barely has a penis, it looks like. Yeah, I know. Oh. <sighs> oh. All right. That's uh, very sweet of you, Craig. I appreciate it. Uh, looking at this episode, what segments worked for you, which didn't? And if you had to rank them, what order would you put them in? I thought the very first segment the, with NFTs, I just loved the uh, and the Snowpiercer like, parody. and I just loved like the action and the animation. It was great. It was also Marge being the star of, uh, of a Treehouse of War was really fun. But then we saw the second one, which was the you know parody of Silence of the Lambs and um, Mind of a... Uh, murder. What is that? What was that called? Uh, Mindhunter and Mindhunter. Yeah. yeah, and many other things. And then I was like, "Oh no, this is gruesome and bloody and fun." And then we got to the third segment, which at first you're just thinking, "Oh, okay, everyone turns into Homer," and then it became very visually funny. Man, this is tough. Like they were all just so solid, like one after the other. I think I'd have to, you know, I think the way it, it was presented was perfect because I feel like reverse the order. It's three, two, one. Hmm. Maybe two, three, one, but I think God, that that Mine Hunter was so good in Sideshow Bob. That that probably was my favorite. Then the Homer one, and then the first one. I just think those just the, the the fun and creative ideas to come up with, like as a writer, like of like what the Homers and like is an animator too. Like how fun it would be to to draw what what Flanders looks like as as Homer, Reverend Lovejoy, or Doctor Hibbert. This seems like a lot of fun. The laughing out loud moments, like I loved when in the second segment when Nelson was, "Oh right, your brother was murdered." <laughs> like just blatantly saying that was great, and seeing like all the boys be cops, and like Shauna was also a cop. Homer Homer's dumbness throughout the the last segment, and of course Kelsey Grammer coming back. Yeah, he's it was all fun. Yeah, but I think yeah, second segment, third segment, and then the first segment. How about you, Steve? I was a little concerned when I when they were starting the NFT one that, like you said, it was going to be kind of like trying to be in, in the moment of the zeitgeist. And uh, I think where they went with it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, in previous Simpsons and uh, in previous Treehouse of Horrors and other Simpsons episodes, we've seen like a world of different homers and mm-hmm. and kind of like clones of himself or like we see like old Tracy Ullman Homer. I was kind of, when I heard the, what I kind of learned the pro, pro, uh, premise of the third story, I worried that like that was going to be kind of tired and stale. But then watching the whole episode as a complete anthology, I think that every one of the stories works so well together because they're all so unique. I think Marge being like such a kick-ass hero on the train, and I think that that world is really interesting, and 
just having like the crypto people like Jimmy Fallon, uh, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Fallon and Kelly Jenner and Gronk because they've all like shilled for NFTs. That's really fun. And I think that the way they handled it was really well and encapsulating the fleeting nature of um, NFTs. I think that's pretty good. And then uh, the third story, seeing everybody turn into Homer and also the message about like living in a nanny state and how that's actually, you know, might be kind of a good thing to have rules and regulations. <laughs> isn't so Yeah. Um, I think that's a really fun thing. And But also the world that turned into the Homer world. Kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is kind of funny. Saying like, but it's saying like, oh, would it be better if we were all just like drones? <laughs> <laughs> all had a single like hive mind. I mean, that shows like a communist type of like socialism. When you put it that way, it sounds kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that was a lot of fun. It worked really well. I think that Dan got a lot, uh, got a chance to flex his uh, voice muscles really well. And I think the animators had a great time with encapsulating characters who were Homer, but not Homer. And still kept to their core. And I think that was really well done. I haven't mentioned the second vignette yet. And that's just because I loved it so damn much. I loved uh, Lisa playing the Jodie Foster uh, role in Silence of the Lambs. I think Mindhunter is a brilliant show. And I think that they captured that well. I also love uh, Nelson as a disaffected cop who is impressed by Lisa's work. And is kind of uncouth about how her brother died so ruthlessly. <laughs> yes. Um, I love incorporating the old episode so seamlessly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think Kelsey Grammer did great, but really just Lisa doing that. And the reveal, even though, like, the plot about the firstborn children being the victims, yeah. you know, you could, you solved it. But I think, sometimes I think, like, when you have a whodunit, if you make it kind of easy to solve, it gets the audience into it, and that kind of worked for me. And just, yeah, because we're all dumb dumb. Exactly. And just the sheer gore of that episode is so fun and so vicious, like, just the way that, like, Rod Flanders was just splayed out and the way that that elaborate device just killed Sherry. And just, it's so creatively awful in such a wonderful way. I, I loved it. In general, it's just a great episode. But if I had to rank them, I'd say, kind of like, you, I'd say basically the same that you did. Uh, number two is my number one. Loud Breaks, my number two. And NFT is the third, but no slouch by any means. I think it was a really solid, fun episode with a premise that I don't think, I didn't think going into it I was going to enjoy. So a really good showing this year. Well, so was it worth the wait, Steve? We had to wait a whole week after Halloween to enjoy this? I think maybe, yeah. I, I still don't fully understand why they did that when they could have made it the fourth episode of the season, but... Was it baseball? Could be baseball. Baseball, Ray. Baseball. <laughs> that was me trying to do... I shouldn't be doing it, trying to do a James Earl Jones impersonation anyway. So as him, you know, in uh, Field of Dreams. You're killing me, Smalls. Oh, he's also in that movie. Oh, man. Luke, throw that ball. Remember, he's in Empire Strikes Back. Exactly. Yeah. Baseball. Simba, you're out. <laughs> I mean, when we've been watching the newer Treehouse of Horrors, like for the past like couple years, we've been saying they've been really good and. I also think this one is, is stellar. Like, I think the that middle run of, like, seasons 12 to, I don't know, 25 or something like that maybe haven't has been as good. Like, but lately, from 30 and beyond, yeah, I think the Tree Awesome Horrors have been, like, the last, yeah, the last four especially have been just stellar. Yeah, I think there's a challenge that they face because early on they did a lot of old, like, uh, Twilight Sound and horror movies that we all know. But if you have to do three a year for 34 years, you're going to have to, like, 
get creative. And sure, they had some blunders, you know, like the Mr. and Mrs. Smith parody or whatever. But <laughs> I think that as film has changed over the past several years, getting creative with your source material is fine. And I think that, you know, the way that you had the action of Snowpiercer in the first one and you had a whole slew of murder mysteries from the middle one and then you had an outbreak reference from the third i think that the way it was executed was done really well and um you kept kind of the the spirit of trials of horror being kind of ooky and kooky and you know frankly pretty horrifying right. but also um stuck to what they were parroting as well so i think they did a really good job right if i were to give this a ranking i would say i'm going to say this is uh speaking of treehouse of horror episodes and segments you said the Mr. and Mrs. Smith one is probably one of your least favorite ones. <laughs> I mean, you're probably, I remember that that one being like, eh. So I'll, I'll go with your your um, parameter and say between, uh, what's probably, the, what's probably the, the best segment of, of Treehouse of Horror? Of all time? In your mind. Yeah. The Shinning, maybe? The Shinning, sure. We'll put that um, as Steve's. So from Steve, it's the Shinning and then the Mr. Smith ones. I would say that this whole episode is time and punishment. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good score. Is that the one where Homer goes back in time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think that's probably my favorite segment. So. It is a really good one, yeah. <laughs> we'll go, this is like Homer to the third power. Ooh, yeah. That's that's fair. Uh, what's, what's your ranking? Uh, well, Craig, the uh, website Rotten Tomatoes ranks uh, the Carrot Top Classic film, Chairman of the Board, as having 11% on the tomato meter. Uh, so out of 11, I'm going to give this a solid 9. Yeah, what the hell? I'm going to give it a 10. 10 out of 11. Wow. Uh, definitely up there for, we have five episodes in 35. I think this is probably the most fun I had. And usually it's, I think it's because there was that, such that long lull of Trios of Horrors that they were so like not good or it to us like disappointing. Yeah. That kind of going into a Trios of Horror, we're just like, uh, but lately, I think, no, I think now, ever since like 30 and beyond, I feel like they're just hitting out of the park. Yeah, and I do have to say that I appreciate also that they're all, all three were well-rounded. Like, sometimes the third one can feel a little rushed. Yeah. And this, I think, all the episodes were really great stories all around. So, good job, guys. Hopefully next week we have another good episode. Um, we've got another new one. Uh, Craig, what do you think the title of that is? Oh, the title. Well, we had Trios of Horror. I don't think they'll do a Thanksgiving of horror. They'll just do something middle of the road. Uh, you know, I think of books. Oh, look, uh, we had HMS Penafore was referenced. You know, that's what Sideshow Bob is singing, you know, from mm -hmm. the Cape Fear episode we had there. So I'm going to go with HMR Pen A44. Oh, it does sound like a very compelling title. <laughs> However, the title of next it, week. Homer, Homer, Pen A44. <laughs> it's like a whole RDRR thing. Yeah. <laughs> The episode's just Homer ordering four sides of, or four orders of penne at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the episode. <laughs> I mean, I would watch that. It sounds interesting. <laughs> but no, the title of next week's episode is it's called Iron Marge. Marge gets a new job selling uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction Ooh. to uh, countries. <laughs> the highest bidder. Mm -hmm. So she's like over in the Middle East, somewhere east. We won't say it's the Middle East, but we know it's over there. Yeah. And she's with a bunch of like troops selling arms, like showing off like her new war equipment. And um, all of a sudden, her 
crew gets attacked and she gets kidnapped and she's like in a in a cave <laughs> in the middle of somewhere east and she needs to escape. So she learns all about her like equipment that she sells, by the way. So she learns that all the weapons that destroyed her her people and injured her because like her heart is like gone now. Like she's like living through like technology some other guy like helped put into her. It's like a pacemaker type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So she learns that she builds like a suit and uh, she escapes, you know, this whole prison she's in, this cave prison with like a suit of armor and she gets finally gets back home and the first thing she wants to do is eat a Burger King and so she does. <laughs> and she has a press conference and then she's back and she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to sell armed goods to anybody. But she still likes this concept with this iron suit. So uh, so she keeps building it. And then meanwhile, Homer is uh, persuading her to not like leave the business <laughs> of selling arms. Uh, but she gets like a newer suit, you know, that's more sleek in design. She likes to listen to ACDC a lot now. <laughs> Lisa, now named Pepper, <laughs> which is kind of weird if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, she fights uh, Homer, who has his own Iron Man costume. I mean... <laughs> on a March costume at the end, and uh, she wins. And then Peter Griffin from Family Guy shows up at the end credits and says, Hey, March, <laughs> ever heard of the animation domination Avengers? <laughs> and then it says, uh, Yeah, to be continued in the Marvel animation domination. Because there's so many fucking animated cartoons on Fox now. There's just one for John Hamm. Like, what the fuck is this? Really? Another one? Yes. Jesus. Because there's now that other Dan Harmon one that's on two Crapopolis. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, that's the episode. You're very close. Um, okay. So. <laughs> Steve was like, oh, now I don't have to watch Iron Man. I know. Um, <laughs> when Marge's heart is broken by a bad birthday present. Um, see? Oh, Iron you, and you mentioned, uh, you know, her heart being broken. Yeah, uh, Lisa, like Tony Stark's. Lisa, who's that? Bart, Bart and Lisa must dig into their mom's past to show that they really know her. Meanwhile, Homer becomes a neighborhood fear monger. So you read this description from like Wiki. Was this the the English whip Wiki from the UK? Because this says digging into their mom's past. M U M. Yeah, I think so. All right, I and mean, they uh, Homer enjoys a pint at his local public house after having some <laughs> fish and chips and some mushy peas. That sounds pretty good, actually. It does. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Steve, I have um, some great information for you. Yeah? Remember how last season, I think it was last season, Sarah Wiggum was like a more rounded character, and she's now played by Megan Mullally? Yeah. Oh, she back again. Oh, boy. We get some Sarah. I love it. I enjoy some Wiggum, and I enjoy the folks who listen to us. Thank you so much for doing so. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can contact us on the socials like Instagram or YouTube at 138Simpsons. And you can always email us at 138Simpsons at gmail.com or you can go through the show's notes to leave us a voicemail. I feel like that's easy enough, but we need to get a voicemail number. It might be easier for the listeners to contact us because we want to hear from you. So go uh, before we get the number, we'll just go through the show's notes and there'll be a button there and click on that. Maybe it's too difficult. I don't know. We'll check it out, but uh, yeah. you can check out uh, if you want to get some cool uh, swag. Go to twcom slash user slash annoyed drunk boys, and you can go, uh, grab yourself a t-shirt or a sticker or a uh, koozie of some kind. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you're listening to this podcast on. Five stars are the equivalent. You don't have to write a real review. You can just uh, write your favorite uh, way Lisa murders people. Yeah. 
I like that. Uh, thank you so much for listening again. Uh, for this week, I've been an annoyed grunt boy named Steve. And I have been an annoyed grunt boy, Craig. And remember, I'm bald, I'm fat, and I'm sexy as I've ever been. Shut up. You ruined Cowbell.